Welcome to Animal Health Insights. This podcast was created to connect producers, veterinarians, and animal owners, and to introduce you to the people and the organizations who are working to support animal health in Canada. Our podcast is developed with the support of the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System. Through these podcasts, CAS aims to engage veterinarians, producers, and the public in discussions around animal health and infectious disease as part of work to strengthen animal health surveillance through knowledge, awareness, and data sharing. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Todd. I'm also a veterinarian. Let's get started. When we think about health of our animals, generally our minds go to those animals that we take care of directly, our dog, our cat, or the animals we care for as we raise them in agricultural settings. There's a whole population of animals out there, however, whose health is equally important, our wildlife populations. Wildlife species range from insects to reptiles to mammals, from carnivore to omnivore or herbivore, and this hugely diverse group of species pose a unique challenge to those responsible for protecting their health. Diseases spread and adapt not only within those populations that are under our direct care, but they affect all animals, including wildlife species. When diseases affect wildlife, in many cases, they not only pose a threat to those populations, but they can also impact the health of domestic animals or humans. Diseases may spill over from wildlife to other species. They can be maintained in nature, develop new and more potent strains, and they can travel across provincial, territorial, and national borders, often unimpeded. Increasing stresses due to habitat loss, international trade of animals and their parts, climate change, or any of the artificial constructs our human society creates compound the health challenges faced by wildlife species that we share this planet with. Monitoring wildlife health and disease is a significant undertaking. That's not to say, however, that it's not an important or an essential facet of health to observe and protect, and it's vital to a true One Health approach to disease management. Veterinarians and wildlife biologists work closely together to study, monitor, learn from, and support our wildlife populations. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Iga Stasiak, who is a veterinarian working as a wildlife health specialist for the Ministry of the Environment in Saskatchewan. Dr. Stasiak works on a number of initiatives in that province, and she's particularly active working on management of chronic wasting disease, a disease of cervids. And I'll be speaking with her today about this particular disease and its impacts on wildlife populations. Dr. Stasiak, welcome to Animal Health Insights. Thank you for having me. So you are one of a small but vital group of veterinarians who work in the field of wildlife veterinary medicine in Canada. Can you describe a bit about your career path and how wildlife vets or wildlife health specialists interact with the other wildlife health organizations in Canada? Sure. So when I graduated from vet school back in 2007, there were still relatively few opportunities in the wildlife health field. I knew I always wanted to work with wildlife in the field of conservation, but I didn't really know what that would entail. I started out in small animal practice, and then I pursued a residency in zoological medicine and pathology at the University of Guelph and Toronto Zoo. And that really um, gave me that uh, holistic approach and, and foundation in wildlife health that, you know, sort of spawned further opportunities. And I was able to obtain a contract working as a wildlife veterinarian in the Northwest Territories. And that led me to my current position with the government of Saskatchewan. I will say that still there are a few positions, uh, government positions, for wildlife health specialists in Canada. 
So not every province and territory has a position like mine. But there are many other wildlife health specialists working in, in various sectors, I have a lot of colleagues working in academia. There are veterinarians working in the zoological medicine field as zoo vets. There are wildlife pathologists and epidemiologists, and a number of folks also working for NGOs both in the U.S. and abroad. So, so really, there are a lot of different types of positions and opportunities uh, in wildlife health, and, and those have, have certainly grown in the last decade. I would say I'm more of a generalist, and I really do rely on support from, from my colleagues in academia and other areas who have specific uh, areas of expertise. For instance, we work with the veterinarians at Calgary Zoo. They have a captive breeding program and have been breeding sage grouse for a reintroduction into southern Saskatchewan. Sage grouse are an endangered species here in the province. So this is a really important endeavor. And so we've been working closely with, with them as they do have that specific expertise. I've worked closely with our colleagues in academia, specifically on environmental contaminant issues or uh, wildlife parasites such as Echinococcus multilocularis, which is a tapeworm that is uh, zoonotic. And we do have a very close relationship also with the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative, which is an organization that's based at each of the five veterinary colleges in Canada. Um, and they do provide us with various levels of expertise, assist us with diagnostic evaluation and investigation of mortality in wildlife. Um, so I work closely with the, those veterinarians as well. So I will say it's truly a multidisciplinary field and definitely a great example of a, a One Health approach. Can you explain a little bit about chronic wasting disease and how it works? What is this condition and what species does it affect? Chronic wasting disease is a fatal neurological disease that affects members of the deer family. Uh, so here in North America, the species we're concerned about are um, species of white-tailed deer, mule deer, elk, moose predominantly. We have not found it yet in caribou, um, but that, that is also a species of concern. So this is a very interesting disease in that it's not caused by a virus or bacteria or a parasite. It's caused by an infectious protein called a prion. And this is a malformed protein that's all of us have. It's normally present in animals. However, it is abnormally folded and that results in degenerative changes in the brain. Uh, it causes actually vacuoles or holes to form in the brain of the animal, uh, resulting in a dementia-like illness. Um, this disease is related to BSE or mad cow disease, which you may be familiar with, which caused a lot of issues um, related to trade of cattle and uh, feeding of meat and bone meal to cattle in the early 90s. So that was, that was a big concern. This one particularly affects members of the deer family. It is always fatal. There's no vaccine or cure, and it poses a real challenge to wildlife managers because there is no viable treatment options for it. So wild deer, moose, and elk, they're just that. They're wild species, and they can roam and migrate in a huge range. How can we even approach disease surveillance for something like chronic wasting disease in these wild, ever-moving populations of animals? That is a very good question. So disease surveillance in wildlife poses some unique challenges. So as you mentioned, we're dealing with often very large populations in a vast landscape. The challenges really do depend on the disease that we're dealing with. With chronic wasting disease, one of the major issues and challenges with monitoring is that the disease is not randomly distributed in the population, rather it's clustered on the landscape. So what that means is that there are certain areas of the province, certain parts, where we have high intensity of infection, and those are referred to as disease hotspots. 
In other parts of the province, we may have lower intensity of infection, and also we may have areas where we have not detected the disease. So traditionally, surveillance for CWD has relied on the goodwill of hunters. So hunters are traditionally submitting samples for testing by submitting their harvested animals. But as you know, hunters have their traditional hunting grounds and they tend to submit animals from the areas they hunt. They go back to these areas year after year. So often we get an influx of samples from areas where we already know um, what the infection rates are. And other areas that are more remote are underrepresented. So areas like the boreal forest where hunting effort is generally limited are areas where we might not get a very many samples from. So the challenge for us is to work closely with hunters to try to encourage them to submit samples from other parts of the province so that we can try to you know, get an adequate number from those undersampled areas and ensure we have a good statistically valid number of samples to get a, a really good gauge of what's going on on the landscape. In Saskatchewan, a large percentage of deer and elk are infected with chronic wasting disease. Do we know if this condition is present in other areas of Canada? Yes. So unfortunately, Saskatchewan has among some of the highest infection rates of CWD in the world. We have infection rates of over 40% in our mule deer population in parts of the province. And the reason for this is the disease has been present here for over 20 years. So the very first cases in Canada were here in Saskatchewan. We had um, cases in captive elk and first cases in 1996. And soon after, we detected the disease in wild deer in the province. Since then, it has spread province-wide here in Saskatchewan. It has also spread into eastern Alberta. So in the early 2000s, we started seeing cases in Alberta as well. It has not yet been detected in Manitoba, although we do have cases just west of the Manitoba border. So this poses a real concern to our neighbors there in Manitoba. We have a lot of concerns related to uh, the recent detection in captive red deer in Quebec. So in 2018, the disease was detected in a captive red deer farm. And that resulted in intensive calling and sampling efforts around that farm, both in Ontario and in Quebec. It was very close to the Ontario border. And fortunately, there have been no detections in the wild in, in either Ontario or Quebec. So, so that is something that we're certainly vigilant about. There are a number of these prion-based diseases in our animal species. So you've mentioned in cattle, we have BSE. In sheep, we have scrapie. And in humans, there is a disease known as Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease. What do we know about how prions move around between species? Could these be zoonotic pathogens? You know, that's a really interesting question, Kate. It's particularly relevant given there's been really increased interest in the potential for CWD spread to other species. So what we know is there have been no cases of CWD transmission to species other than members of the deer family, including humans, through natural transmission or natural routes. What we do know is that prions do have a strong affinity for a specific host, so it's unlikely for them to be transmitted across species. We know BSE was certainly an exception to that. Also, there have been a number of experimental studies um, in recent years where we've had experimental inoculations of, of rodents and primates with chronic wasting disease, so either through direct inoculation of prions into the brain or through feeding of infected material. And in some of those cases, in several studies, transmission was shown to occur under experimental conditions. 
So what this means is that while we believe the risk of transmission to other species under natural conditions is probably very low, we can't rule it out altogether. And so we need to be vigilant about that, and particularly because there is a potential for emergence of novel strains as well, and we don't know how those strains may be transmissible across species. So if there is some, perhaps far off, but potential for new strains to develop, then I suppose there could be as well like a theoretical risk to anyone who is ingesting proteins from animals that are infected with chronic wasting disease. Are there recommendations for anyone who is hunting and regularly eating meat from some of these species like deer or moose or elk or caribou? Yes, so we do have recommendations for hunters. Like I said, we know the disease risk is likely low, but because we can't rule it out completely, we need to provide that guidance for our hunters. So what we recommend is that hunters have their animals tested prior to consumption, and this is especially for those hunters that are hunting in areas known to be endemic for CWD. And we advise that if the animal comes back positive, hunters do not eat any meat from the animals that are known to be infected. So that is one precaution. We also advise that hunters, when they're deboning and skinning their animal, that um, they wear gloves and disinfect all their equipment with concentrated bleach solution as well. When we're actually testing an animal then for CWD, what types of tissue samples are actually tested? And what laboratories do this type of testing? How does somebody even go about submitting a sample? As you may know, unfortunately, there is no live animal test for chronic wasting disease. So we are still relying on post-mortem samples from hunter-harvested animals. The samples that we collect include the retropharyngeal lymph nodes, which are a pair of lymph nodes at the base of the head, as well as the obex, which is part of the brain stem. And these are tissues where we know we have a high concentration of infectious prions. Hunters are advised to submit the entire head with the antlers removed, And those heads are to be dropped off at a number of different field locations and and drop-off sites we have across the province. The heads are shipped to the laboratory where the samples are extracted, and then in turn they're um, tested at one of our diagnostic labs. Here in Saskatchewan specifically, we utilize the diagnostic laboratory at the University of Saskatchewan. There are a number of labs that are approved to test for CWD across Canada. And these include the Provincial Animal Health and Agricultural Laboratories in Alberta, Ontario, and Quebec, as well as the CFIA National Laboratory. CWD, I guess, could also pose a food security issue for people who are hunting these species for a mainstay protein source of their diets. I guess particularly for Indigenous communities or any people who are hunting for subsistence. What can we do to help ensure everyone knows these ways to avoid exposure to prion diseases such as CWD? That is a really important question, especially as it pertains to Indigenous communities, because we know that animals such as deer, moose, elk are a form of subsistence for these people and part of their culture. And so there is the issue of not only the risk of disease or the direct risk that we understand, but also the perception of risk. We also, um, as wildlife managers, really consider the human dimensions aspect or how it's affecting, you know, what people do and how they perceive what's going on. And that's something that we don't have a lot of experience with as veterinarians traditionally, but is of particular concern to Indigenous communities and could affect their culture, their way of life. 
We know that indigenous communities rely on wildlife and this meat as a component of their traditional food. And so it's really up to us to work closely with these communities to provide outreach and educational materials so that they're aware of the risks and also to ensure that there is accessibility to testing. Now that is really challenging, particularly in remote areas uh, here in Saskatchewan. Many of our First Nations communities are very remote. And so we're facing challenges of trying to uh, ensure accessibility of testing, the availability of drop-off locations for samples, deliveries, and turnaround time, which are all important to Indigenous communities and hunters across the province. So if a hunter wants to have a carcass tested for CWD before eating the meat, how would they go about doing this? So in Saskatchewan, we do offer free testing for hunters. So hunters can submit the head from their harvested animal at one of our ministry field office or self-serve drop-off locations. Currently, we are testing animals over one year of age, and those results are posted to our website. So hunters can retrieve their testing results using their hunting license number or their treaty ID or Métis status number. Sometimes it can take a while to get these testing results back. It does take, take quite some time and can take several weeks. Um, so we do ask hunters to be patient, especially during the busy hunting season. It's really important for hunters to know that testing is not uniform across Canada, across provinces. And so some provinces have mandatory testing. And so hunters hunting in certain areas are required to submit samples. In other jurisdictions, hunters may have to pay for the testing themselves. So it's really important that hunters refer to their hunting guide and the regulations in the jurisdiction wherever they're hunting. Um, so that is always important. And especially as we have a lot of hunters that are crossing province lines and, and hunting in, in neighboring jurisdictions. I imagine some of that could be based on the prevalence, for example, or the known prevalence of a disease in a certain area and those types of risk factors. Yes. Could you tell us about some other wildlife diseases that you keep on your radar as a wildlife veterinarian in Canada? Certainly. So unfortunately, CWD is not the only disease of concern in Saskatchewan or across Canada for that matter. One of the diseases we're on the lookout for is white nose syndrome, which some of the listeners may be familiar with. Um, so this is a fungal disease that has decimated bat populations across northeastern U.S. and Canada. The disease was first discovered in a cave in New York in 2006 and has since spread westward. Recently, it's been discovered in Manitoba, um, so just east of our border, and also in Montana, so just south of Saskatchewan. So that's certainly one that we're on the lookout for um, because of the devastating potential for hibernating bat populations. Another disease of concern is African swine fever, which is a foreign animal disease. Um, so this disease is currently endemic to parts of Europe and Asia. And thankfully, it's not present currently in North America. And we want to do everything we can to keep it out. But because of globalized trade, there is potential for introduction of this foreign animal disease. Um, we have wild boar populations here in Saskatchewan. The disease affects domestic swine and wild or feral swine as well. And so it's one that, that we need to be vigilant about as well here. With, I'd say, climate change, we're seeing some changes. We're also seeing changing distributions of a number of our host species. And with that, we're seeing expansion of both vector-borne and various parasitic diseases, such as the meningeal worm or brain worm, which is spread by white-tailed deer. So this disease is typically innocuous, doesn't seem to affect the white-tailed deer, but it can be a significant cause of mortality in other species of cervids, such as moose. 
we have seen a westward expansion of this parasite as well. And we're keeping an eye out on this as well as many other diseases. Um, we do work closely with the Canadian Wildlife Health Cooperative at the University of Saskatchewan to monitor for various emerging infectious diseases of concern. Most veterinarians may interact with wildlife species occasionally. Usually it's when an injured wildlife animal is presented for humane euthanasia. How could veterinarians who have an interest in wildlife health get involved in this niche further? So Kate, I think this is a really exciting time for veterinarians to get involved in wildlife management and wildlife health. As you know, uh, we are facing a lot of environmental challenges globally. Um, so I mentioned climate change, habitat loss, development, globalized trade. And certainly with the coronavirus pandemic just this past year, you know, we recognize that wildlife health is really integral to human health as well. So I think there's a real need for, for veterinarians in this line of work. And there are many ways veterinarians can get involved. So not only through formal training or full-time positions, but also um, to volunteer their time locally as well or through part-time work. So some veterinarians may choose to uh, pursue formal training, typically in the areas of wildlife pathology or epidemiology. Other veterinarians may have the opportunity to work with a local wildlife rehabilitator or volunteer their time with, a, with an NGO. What's really exciting is that veterinarians have specific skills and expertise that I think are really vital to wildlife health and a more, maybe more holistic approach, you know, than some other fields. And, and that is really integral and important to, uh, to working with wildlife. Oftentimes, wildlife biologists may require assistance from a veterinarian. I remember working on some wolf uh, radio transmitter implants up in Algonquin Provincial Park a few years back. You know, it could be performing surgeries out in the field or other projects. And that's typically what, what folks think about when they think of a wildlife vet, someone uh, out with a dart gun in the forest darting, <laughs> darting deer. That's not, um, you know, it's a small, it's a, it is a component of the job, uh, definitely, but it's not always a major component. Um, a lot of it is also policy work in trying to prevent uh, disease transmission or investigation of disease. But I would say, you know, outside a formal position, getting in touch with, with wildlife biologists in your area through larger organizations as well, like the Wildlife Society, through the local you know, university or college, there may be opportunities to get involved with some wildlife work as well. You've mentioned a couple of organizations that you work with closely. What organizations and resources would you suggest then for veterinarians or others who have an interest in wildlife health and disease surveillance? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, there are really a number of organizations that have great opportunities um, and offer a lot of sort of leadership and mentorship for, for veterinarians wanting to get into this field. I would definitely encourage anyone with an interest in wildlife health to join the Wildlife Disease Association. That is an organization where, where I got my first break. I know I was a small animal veterinarian at the time and, uh, and I was able to find an opportunity to get involved with some mortality investigation in sea turtles in Mexico. Um, they were experiencing high mortality in that population and, and that sort of you know, opened up other doors for me. So there, there's, you know, the Wildlife Disease Association is one for sure. Um, they do have a number of educational resources and employment opportunities that are posted on their website, so that's worth checking out. And also they have many members who would be happy to mentor someone or provide advice on, on wildlife health careers. The American Association of Wildlife Veterinarians is another great resource, and I would definitely take advantage, um, also take advantage of the fact that a lot of the conferences this year are online because of COVID. 
And so that might be more cost, uh, sort of cost-effective way for, for veterinarians to get involved and, and do some networking. That's a great point. It has been actually quite fun this year to be able to participate in conferences that you might not get to otherwise, so it is a great opportunity. I just wanted to ask if you could please share with us a wildlife medicine tale of adventure just to wrap up our chat today. Sure. Um, so I have been very fortunate. I've had a number of really exciting opportunities over the last few years. I think one of my most memorable um, would have to be during my time as a wildlife veterinarian in Kentucky, where I worked for a number of years. This was a few months into the job, and I was involved in an investigation of uh, the origins of a mountain lion that appeared in rural Kentucky. This was the first mountain lion sighting um, since the beginning of the Civil War, so in over 100 years in the state. So, so quite a, an interesting uh, case. There was obviously a lot of interest in the animal, um, which was, it was shot for safety reasons. The investigation involved you know, genetic analysis of the origins, tooth aging. We did uh, full gastrointestinal analyses to try to determine what the animal was eating. And uh, it certainly wasn't a cut and dry case, but uh, probably one of the high, you know, highest profile forensic cases I, I had the chance to work on and, and uh, one that you know, definitely generated a lot of interest. It was, it was a lot of fun. Thanks so much, Dr. Stasiak, for helping us to uh, spread a bit of information about chronic wasting disease and for sharing your wildlife health insights with us today. Thank you for having me. If you're interested to learn more about chronic wasting disease surveillance in Saskatchewan or elsewhere in Canada, we'll post some links to this information and to the resources Dr. Stasiak discussed on our website at kaz.ca. Thanks for joining us. Once again, I'd like to thank the Canadian Animal Health Surveillance System for their support of the Animal Health Insights podcast. CAS is an initiative of the National Farmed Animal Health and Welfare Council, and it has broad-based support from both livestock sectors and from government. CAS brings together data and information from across Canada in order to demonstrate animal health and to guide planning on national animal health priorities. Effective disease surveillance can demonstrate the health of our animals, and it enables prompt action to minimize the negative impacts of disease. Funding is provided through the Agri-Assurance Program under the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a federal, provincial, territorial initiative.